Some time ago we had part one of a series on the Old Testament people of Israel. And some of you will remember that. And we're going through the Old Testament story, taking some highlights so that we can try and understand the Old Testament story a bit better and try and work out how it connects to us. So, in the last series, we went right the way from Abraham all the way through until um, Egypt and leaving Egypt and ending up in the desert of Sinai. And this series is entitled Into the Promised Land because we're moving forward now to the time when the people of Israel, under the leadership of Joshua, uh, entered into the Promised Land. We're trying to work out what the significance of this is, what does it mean for us, what was happening then, uh, what's the big picture. So let's go right back to the beginning, shall we, just to remind you of the foundation for this story. And this is what we said last time, but uh, this was well over a year ago. So let's just remind ourselves. It all began... When God spoke miraculously to a man who lived in what we would today call Iraq and his name was Abraham or Abraham at the time. And he and his wife Sarah, their household, were chosen by God in a unique way. And totally out of the blue, without any reference to anything else and for reasons that we can't fathom, God spoke these words to Abraham. And these words are the foundation of everything else that happens to do with the salvation of humanity and they apply directly to you in the last part of them. So let's just read these words. Genesis 12, verse 1 to 3. The Lord had said to Abraham, Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I'll make you into a great nation and I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. I mean, what a ridiculous thing to say in human terms. He was just an ordinary bloke living in Iraq. He was probably an agriculturalist. And God said, I'm going to lead you to another country. You're going to travel a long way. Well, it turned out to be um, somewhere like 800 to 1,000 mile journey that took a period of time to do, leaving his country. And God promised him three things. And at the time he made the promise, Abraham and Sarah didn't have any children and that was probably an anxiety to them even at that particular point. He said, I'm going to give you a name, I'm going to give you a nation and I'm going to make you a blessing to everybody in the whole world, every single tribe and nation and ethnic group in the whole world. I mean, I don't know how he could possibly understand what all that meant. But a name means a son. So your family name is going to continue. It's not going to come to an end because you haven't had children. It's going to be a promised son. Well, that turned out to be Isaac. Most of you will remember the story. And he said, I'm not just going to give you a son, but out of that son, I'm going to give you a whole tribe, a whole people, 
a whole nation, and not only am I going to give you the people, I'm going to give them a place to live. Because a people isn't really a people until they're a place to live, to have a place to live. The gypsy communities of the world know what it is, that you are a people, but you don't have a land. And Abraham didn't want his successors just to be gypsies around the Middle East. And God said, I'm going to give them a land. Now, the land promise comes in a few chapters later beyond uh, chapter 12. Chapters 15 and 17 clarify that dimension. A name, a nation. Your people will bless the whole world. What an extraordinary statement. Your people are going to bless the world. How? We'll find out. But he didn't know at the time. So he travelled and he got to the land and then they had to leave the land and go down to Egypt, came out of Egypt. So we can summarise God's intention with the following statement. A people placed in a land to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Now let's trace the story back by looking at a map just to... Egypt. Remember they ended up not in Israel but in Egypt because of a famine and they ended up there for 400 years. They ended up in slavery to the Egyptian pharaohs. They were a subject people doing hard labour and then um, amazingly through a man called Moses and we discussed this in the previous series, they suddenly escaped and they crossed either one of those big lakes or the Red Sea further south Uh, The map is just an impression of the journey. And then they took the journey south. Can you see the way that the the red line goes south into that little peninsula? It's called the Sinai Peninsula. It's completely desert. I've travelled through it and it's desert from one end to the other. And they went to a mountain called Mount Sinai. And there God revealed himself in power to the whole nation. Everybody saw light, thunder, cloud, glory, they felt the shaking of the ground and they knew that they'd encountered the living God. We discussed this in the previous series. Then they travelled north and the idea was to head very quickly from there to the promised land Israel, which is up there in the north, just to the left of the Dead Sea. You can just see the land there. And the idea was, having come out of Egypt, that they would enter into the promised land in less than one year probably a few months that was the plan Moses was leading the people they were travelling in the desert miraculous food was provided through manna and quail water appeared in the desert in miraculous ways the people were sustained and they travelled further north to a place called Kadesh which is marked on the map you may not be able to see it clearly Kadesh Barnea. And at that point Moses said, right, we've got 12 tribes. I want one representative of each tribe. I want a senior, responsible man from each tribe and I want you to go into the promised land. I want you to explore the land of Israel and then we're going to make a move in. But we just want a report back, please. You can have 40 days. And they went all the way through the land and they came back again. Many of you know the story. And Moses said, right, what's the report? 12 men report to all the people of Israel, senior representatives of all the tribes are present in a big public meeting. Moses says, right, 
Are you guys ready to give us a good report? Because we want to move into the promised land that God promised to our forefathers, Abraham. And I think now is the time that we're going to move into the promised land. Are you ready? And do you remember what happened? There was a divided opinion. Ten out of twelve men said, quite frankly, I don't think we can do it. They are very well defended tribes there. They've got big armies. I don't like the physique of some of the people we see there. They're hostile to us. They speak different languages. If we go in, this desert area is fine because nobody lives here. But if you go into that promised land where there's beautiful, fertile territory, it's flowing with milk and honey, we're not going to be able to get in because they're going to push us back. They're going to kill us. But two other men said, no, 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 hang on a minute. We do not agree. This is what we call nowadays the minority report. And those two men were Joshua, the person who's the the, uh, lead figure in the story today, and Caleb. They said, look, have you guys forgotten the Red Sea, getting out of Egypt, water in the wilderness, the manna's coming down from heaven every single day. Don't you believe in a supernatural God anymore? Have you forgotten what happened in the last year? We thought we'd never get out of Egypt, but suddenly God made it happen. We can get in the promised land, no problem. They had a big argument. Put it to the vote, and all the people moaning, groaning, say, oh, we can't, no, we can't go into the land. Moses had a fit, spoke to the Lord, He's very unhappy with the situation. The Lord said, I'll forgive them. But this generation are not going to get in the promised land. And that meant everybody 20 years old or or older were going to die in the wilderness. They'd have to wait another 40 years. God said, for every day of the 40 days you spent exploring the land, you're going to have a year in the desert. Okay, now let's do a bit of maths. 20 years plus 40 years. Even I can do that. 60 years. Okay, how old am I? 58. Okay, so anybody in this room above the age of 60, with due respect to yourselves, if you've been there and you've been voting for that, you were voting for a life in the wilderness. And you'd never have gotten the promised land. The only two people who got in who were a bit older were Caleb and Joshua. Wow. So they, they went south again. They went back south. You can see it on the map. And Moses is leading. And we now begin to think about Joshua. He's one of the positive guys. But Joshua was now faced with this thought. Here I am, because Joshua was Moses' assistant. Here I am. I've got to spend 40 years in the wilderness with these guys just because they're so stiff-necked and unbelieving. They didn't take the chance when God actually gave it. That's a bit tough, isn't it? Anyway, they got to the verge of the promised land and Moses died and the leadership fell to Joshua. So who was Joshua? What, what do we know about him? This is the person I wanted to think about. I'll read the passage in a moment. 
Well, if you look back in the 40 years in the wilderness, you notice he was a military leader. Uh, He had real leadership potential and he served as Moses' assistant for 40 years. He did anything that Moses wanted. He organised meetings, made practical arrangements, organised food chains, oversaw worship, got involved in military campaigns. Joshua did anything that he was asked to do. He was a leader. But he went through the very painful experience of watching his friends die one by one in the wilderness over four decades. He would have stood at the graveside of his mother and father in the wilderness knowing they could have been in the promised land but because of what happened at Kadesh they didn't make him. He heard all the moaning and groaning and grumbling against Moses that went on from time to time. He didn't have an easy life but he just served. And he served for 40 years. I think he's quite a guy. Do you agree? Do you see what I mean? And then they reached another entry into the promised land. Let's just go back to the map for a moment, Tom. Can you see where the red line comes to an end? It's a different place. Not in Kadesh, but by the River Jordan. And this is the place that our story is told about today. And it says in the book of Deuteronomy that Moses, when he died, he was actually looking over into the promised land. It was the other side of the River Jordan, to the left of the River Jordan, to the west. And he was on the east. And it actually says that he went up to a mountain called Mount Nebo. Well, you can visit Mount Nebo today. I visited it 15 years ago, roughly, when visiting Jordan on on an official tourist trip. And it's about as high as the Rekin. So, mountain in inverted commas, for those of you who are mountaineers. But you look down the valley, it's in the Moabite hills, and you look down the valley, and you look down to the lowest place on earth, which is the Dead Sea. And the River Jordan feeds into the Dead Sea. And as you look down, and I look down exactly as Moses and Joshua would have looked down, you can see over into the Promised Land. You go down into this deep valley, and the Judean hills rise up the other side. And on a clear evening in the modern world, you can stand on Mount Nebo, and you can see the lights of Jerusalem in the Judean hills. And right down in the valley, if you look closely enough, and if there isn't too much haze, you can see a city called Jericho. The very first city, the other side of the river. That will come into our story very shortly, but not today. Because that's the city they needed to capture to get into the Promised Land. So, Joshua stood there and he could see all the land. Have you ever had that feeling of standing on a hill and you can, or a mountain, you can just see a great vista in front of you? You can do it in miniature in Shropshire, by the way. Lith Hill. That's a real miniature version, isn't it? It's hardly a hill at all, as far as I can tell. But anyway, as soon as you get up there, you realise you can see the whole of South Shropshire, can't you? From the Rekin through, all the way through the South Shropshire Hills 
right the way over to the Welsh hills. You get that vista. Well, this is on a grand scale that Joshua and Moses had seen the promised land. And Joshua had waited 40 years for this moment. He believed it could have happened 40 years earlier. He'd even been in the promised land as a spy. He'd been waiting and waiting and waiting. Moses died. Joshua was the acknowledged leader of the nation. And then we come to our passage for today, which is coming up on the screen in sections. Joshua chapter 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you'll lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or the left that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp, tell the people, get your provisions ready. Three days from now, you'll cross the Jordan here and go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses the servant of the Lord gave you after he said, The Lord your God will give you rest by giving you this land. Your wives, your children and your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. Some of the territory was on the east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, ready for battle, must cross over ahead of your fellow Israelites. You are to help them until the Lord gives them rest, as he has done for you, and until they too have taken possession of the land the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of your Lord, gave you east of the Jordan towards the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, Whatever you've commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey it, whatever you command them, will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. I want to just talk about a couple of things here. First of all, what commands did Joshua receive? There's a number of commands that come out in this text. 
He commanded him, first chapter 1, verse 8, keep the book of the law always on your lips, meditate on it day and night, and be careful to obey it. So, in order for Joshua to be successful, he needed to obey a number of commands. First one, he needed to follow the law of Moses, which had already been written down. It was in written form already, Deuteronomy and the other books. And Moses himself had taken part in the writing down of the law. So here's an interesting key for us. As we go through life, like Joshua, keep your eye on the book. Keep your spiritual focus through the word. Now you see Joshua is going to receive remarkable supernatural appearances and miracles which could draw his allegiance because they'll be very exciting. Astonishing miracles are going to happen. The walls of Jericho are going to fall down. The water is going to part in the, in the Jordan. Some miraculous angel is going to appear as the commander of the Lord's host. Lots of miracles are going to happen. But the first thing the Lord says to him is, keep your eyes on the book. Keep your obedience in the text, in the word of God to you, which was the law of Moses. And so for us, if we want to be successful, we need to keep our eyes on the word of God as the foundation. Verse 2, get ready to cross the river Jordan. So this is a practical thing. Not only keep your eyes in the book, but keep your eyes on the task. Your eyes in the book and your hands on the task. Everybody, every Christian and every believer in the Jewish nation has things that God has called them to do, practically to do. Some of them are so obvious you do them without realising they're part of the call of God, family responsibilities, work responsibilities, etc. Some of them are specific to you. But for Joshua, as in all of his life, the key to his success was not only obeying the Lord very specifically, but doing the practical things that he had to do and he'd had 40 years experience. Because Moses said, Joshua, do this. Joshua, do that. Go there. Sort this out. Arrange this meeting. Come into the tent of meeting with me. Do this, do that. Had 40 years of doing that. Do you know what I call it? The plot of God. I, I got this from a friend of mine. He's a pastor. I said, what's the key to your success? And he said, the plot of God. What do we mean by that? Most of our lives are apparently mundane. They consist of very ordinary things. The key to the success of a spiritual life is to do the ordinary things well and faithfully. And Joshua is an outstanding example and the Lord says, get ready, keep doing the practical things, I'm going to give you lots of jobs to do. And also he says, be strong and courageous, don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. In other words, an attitude of faith. So here's three ingredients we can put together for a successful spiritual life. Real reverence for the word, a real attitude in faith, and a real practical application. Just get on with the job. Most of my Christian life, if I analyse it, and the same will apply to you, but you might think it's so less so of leaders who are here on the front row perhaps, but most of it's just very practical and very ordinary. You do the things God calls you to do. Do you know what? The extraordinary arises out of the ordinary. The people who ne neglect the ordinary don't experience the extraordinary. And because Joshua was going to do the ordinary, he was going to experience the extraordinary because he was obeying God and God was about to do, do a whole series of miracles. What about God's promises to Joshua? 
As I was with Moses, so I'll be with you. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I will give you every place where your foot is set. No one, uh, where your foot is set, no one will be able to stand against you. God promises two things to us if we're obedient: His presence and His power. I'll be with you, and you'll be strong in me. Are those things you want? Those are things that I want: His presence and His power. That's the key to a successful life. And Joshua is a wonderful example of a successful Christian life. He did the ordinary things well. If you mess up in the basic things of life, then you have to go back and start again and sort things out, and it's very problematical. If you do them well, he had 40 years to do them well, and the pressure was against him because he was probably so frustrated by the people around him, always causing problems. For 40 years, for goodness sake. And during that period, people even started rebellions against Moses and threatened to kill him. And if they killed Moses, they'd have killed Joshua as well. His life was on the line. But he proved faithful. And here's a wonderful promise from Jesus, which is very similar. How about this? The last phrase of Matthew's Gospel, which we very rarely comment on. It's the passage about baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching people to obey uh, all the things that Jesus has commanded. you remember that passage? And it says, and surely I will be with you always until when? The end of the age. So just as Yahweh, the God of Israel, said to Joshua, look, I'll never desert you, Joshua. It's going to be tough. But I'll never desert you. You can have enemies, battles, ups and downs. I'll never desert you. So the Lord says to us in the new covenant, your life might be tough. And some people here know what tough means. But I'll never desert you. I'll be with you till the end of the age. Every generation of believers, the Lord says, I'm going to be with you. And how is he with us? Because he sends the Holy Spirit and he doesn't take the Holy Spirit away from us. Is that worth an amen? I think it is. I know we're not in that mood at the moment, but I'm feeling fairly positive up here when I'm thinking about these things, as well as quite overwhelmed by this, the depth of them. So, Joshua is a hero. And I want to rescue Joshua from a caricature we can accidentally fall into. Because he's such a great hero of Sunday school, Negro spirituals, Joshua fought the Battle of Jericho. Sunday schools, the Battle of Jericho, all that's great. I'm 100% for that. Those are wonderful things. But he is not just a story picture in a children's book or in songs that we might sing as children or in folklore. But this is a real historical character, a man flesh and blood like you and me, who really had a hard life. He had 40 years of non-stop frustration. Well, he could have woken up every day and said, I wish I could strangle those leaders in Israel. Look what they put us through, because they missed the chance to get in at Kadesh Barnea. If only they'd gone, and we'd never have had any of these problems. Have you ever felt like that in life? Have you ever been the victim of other people's mistakes? Family mistakes? personal mistakes, business mistakes, 
church mistakes, relationship mistakes, mistakes of your parents, mistakes of your children that cost you a fortune. Joshua was feeling that for 40 years. And still he was smiling at the end of it. When the Lord said, right, Joshua, you're ready to go now. But keep obeying. Do the plot of God. Exercise faith. I'll be with you. Three conclusions, three reflections as we finish. I want to reinforce a fairly obvious thing. But you know, God's plan is very, very big. You know, he said to Abraham, your, your successors are going to enter the promised land. I'm going to give them a home. And yet, when they got to the brink of the promised land, the people turned down the opportunity. But can I tell you that if one person or one generation misses an opportunity in the purposes of God, it doesn't mean the purposes of God come to an end. We can't change the ultimate purposes of God to bless this world. Even if we're stubborn and stiff-necked and we miss opportunities. God's plan is too big for that. So here they are. They're back on the verge of the promised land. Forty years later, God's still going to perform his miracle. He's going to do it with some different people. But he's going to do it. And that big plan, which was through Abraham and his descendants to produce a name and a nation and a blessing to all the nations of the world, how did that big plan actually come to pass? Paul put his finger on it. He explained it to us as clearly as anything. Galatians 3, verse 7. Understand then that those who have faith the children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And the key to this is Jesus. They had to get in the land. They had to settle in the land. They had to establish their national life They had to develop in their national life in order to receive Jesus in the right place on earth so that the gospel could go out to all the nations. So what Joshua did and what others do is making the way for God's purposes to succeed in subsequent generations. Then when Jesus comes, the gospel gets to you and me. Second point. Joshua is an example of godly character. I don't know about you, but I find that one of the things God's most interested in is character. He wants to shape our character. He's shaping your character right now through your life experiences. And he shaped Joshua, made him humble, made him faithful, gave him courage, and buckets loads of patience with some pretty objectionable people that he had to live with for 40 years in tents in the desert. And my final point 
and this is one I feel very deeply as I was preparing this talk I felt the, the Lord is really emphasising this to me life has turning points and the crucial thing is how we respond to the turning points and there are two turning points in this story there's the first potential entry to the promised land in Kadesh and there's the second entry to the promised land which is just about to happen and Joshua is right in the middle of them and in one turning point the disobedience of the people brought years of frustration and difficulty and in the second turning point the obedience of Joshua and the subsequent generation who said we're with you Joshua We'll go in. Have you noticed that at the end of our text? It's the opposite of Kadesh. When the spies said, let's go in there, they said, no, we don't want to do it. But now, 40 years later, they said, yeah, we'll do it. We can actually do this. So life has turning points. And as you reflect on your life, you will think of turning points. Major changes in your life. Shall I go this way or that way? Shall we do this job or that job? Some tragedy that happens. Some decision that you made that you now regret. Some decision that other people made which has been affecting you badly for years. That's the negative side. And then on the positive side, moments when God opens up the door of his blessing. So folks, I want to talk to you in conclusion just briefly about turning points. And particularly about the turning points which are God's opportunities. Because these are two of God's opportunities. They missed one, they took the other. First of all I want to say to you, if you feel you've missed opportunities in your life, other ones are being presented to you. As were presented to the children of Israel. The circumstances will be different. You can't go back and rewrite history. You can't do it the same way. You couldn't enter the promised land from the same point. Everything might feel different, but there's opportunity. So if we feel overwhelmed by a feeling, I really shouldn't have gone down that road. This story tells us there's a way back. Joshua is bringing the people back. We're going to get in the promised land. It took a bit longer than we planned. But we are going to get there. And surely they did. So if you feel you're at a turning point, can I encourage you, don't do what they did at Kadesh. Don't say, God wants me to do this, but I really don't want to follow him. I've got a better idea. I'm blocking my ears to what my Christian friends are saying. I'm not reading my Bible. I'm not going to get too connected to church. I'm not going to listen to Christian media I'm not going to listen to the things I know that are right because I just want to do my own thing for a bit longer can I plead with you don't do that listen to that voice of the Holy Spirit I don't know what that Holy Spirit is saying to you but for some people here there is I feel time of turning point where in our heart he wants us to trust God follow him and enter into the promised land that he has for you Let's stand together.
You know, when we were singing earlier on, I was very affected by that song, Father of Kindness. Do you remember that new one we sang? I just have a feeling I'd quite like to sing it again, actually, so I'm going to ask the musicians to come. Um, And I'd like Tom just to put that song up. Um, And I want to go to the end where it says about the promises. All your promises are yes and amen. Can you see that expression? And as we sing this song, I want you to make an application of that phrase. The promises go back to Abraham. You're a believer today if you are a believer, because God promised to Abraham that people from all the nations of the earth would one day be in his kingdom. So all those promises are yes and amen. Let's just sing this together as the musicians lead us in conclusion. Father of kindness. darkness you have filled me with peace given a mercy on my help in time of need Lord I can't help but sing Father of kindness Father of kindness you have poured out grace You brought me out of darkness, you have filled me with peace. Giver of mercy on my help in time of need. Lord, I can't help but sing. Faithful you are. Savior, you have brought me 